0: Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1. So we're in this study called Anoint Thine Eyes, and really this is a study on vision. Just really knowing, what is it that God has for me? Where is God leading me? What's the next step in my journey, in my walk with Him? We kicked things off two weeks ago looking at 2 Peter, chapter 1, and how Peter talks about, really, it's the servants. It's people who are plugged into the work of the ministry, doing what God asked them to do. They're the ones that God is going to reveal truth to and reveal deeper truth to. And they're the ones that are going to know exactly what God expects from them. So we need to make sure that we are plugged in, doing the work of the Lord, serving Him, because then we're going to know where to go next. And last week, we started off with these, these seven character traits that Peter mentioned in 2 Peter chapter 1. And he tells you to do something with these seven traits. What does he say? In three simple words, he tells us to take these seven things and add to your faith. I guess that's four words, isn't it? (laughs) I went to Perry, forgive me. No offense to anybody who may also go to Perry. Oh, definitely offense to <laughs> you. He says, add to your faith. And he talks about all of these things virtue, knowledge, temperance. And we kicked things off with virtue last week. Anybody tell me, what does, uh, what does the Bible and even the dictionary define as virtue? Who remembers? Or who still has their study sheet in their Bible. Because you guys never take your study sheets out of your Bible and it just piles up. And then the binding starts getting all loose. And then your Bible starts falling apart. It's a real thing. Brandon. I'm pretty sure it was like strong and like enduring and like, yeah. like leadership qualities. Yep. Or something like that. Strength. Yeah. Endurance. Yeah, Sam. Manliness. Manliness. Of course you guys would remember that one. We even talked how it's not only just manliness, but it's also womanliness. And we're going to see that even more so by the end of today. About just doing the right thing, really. Both in the dictionary definition and the Bible, it's about doing the right thing. Doing what is morally good. But we kind of took a little bit of a veer with how Webster's defines it. And we looked at there's there's really two different ways that you can do something that's right. You can do it out of the right heart attitude no matter the circumstances, no matter what uh, place or time or circumstance you find yourself in, you can do what's right, or you can do the right thing because it's convenient for you to do so, you have to do the right thing, or because it's going to help and benefit your reputation. And then even conversely, We may think that we're virtuous because we don't do this, or we don't do that, or we're not involved in this sin. And we might think that we're very, very virtuous. We might think that we're very strong in our walk. But if you take a close, deep analysis of yourself and really examine yourself, you might find that, well, the only reason you don't do and partake in those sins is because, well, it's not convenient for you. Or because of reputation's sake. But man, if my reputation or if convenience are out of the way, if my circumstances of life change, maybe I'll go ahead and participate in this sin and I'll dive in head first. I used the analogy last week and it bears worth repeating. A lot of people when they graduate high school... And they move on from the senior high and they go into, yeah, college career singles. But in some cases, if they move away to college or even if they're at a nearby college, it's still further away. It's it's out from the house of their parents, out from underneath their parents' watch care. And man, you really start finding out what was your faith based on. You really start seeing your faith be tested to see, okay, am I really just riding the coattails of my parents' walk with Christ? Or is my faith truly and genuinely my own? Because, as we mentioned over and over again, as I'm sure some of you have even seen, with some of the seniors that have graduated in the last couple of years, they go off to college, or they get out from this kind of routine, they get out from their parents, and then now it's convenient for them to partake in certain sins that they never would have partaken of back in the senior high. And as I said last week, don't think it can't happen to you. First Corinthians 10, I believe it's verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, what? Take heed. Take heed, lest ye what? It can happen to any of us. Paul is saying that. So we conclude this week by looking at the, the second half of it, and, and we started looking at all these examples of, of people in Scripture that, that really exude and really uh, uh, had this character trait of virtue. And in letters, uh, or point number one, the recap from part one, we saw last week letters A and B that powerful virtue can only come through knowing God. Remember those people that Christ healed when they were willing to reach out and be close to Jesus. He allowed that strength and that endurance and that power to come from him to then strengthen them in turn. We'll see more examples of that today. And letter B, I had to throw this in cause I'm a nerd with great power comes great responsibility. What's that from? Spider-Man. Thank you for all the fellow nerds in the room. (laughs) No shame in it. I love it. With great power comes great responsibility. For those people who were healed by Christ, for those people who received that power and strength and that virtue from him, we are called to do something with that. Have you been strengthened with the gospel? Has Christ radically changed your life the moment you came to receive him when you called upon him to save you? Has your life been changed? Yes. There's only like two people saved in this entire room. Oh my goodness, we need to have an altar call right now. No. Yes, absolutely. The Spirit of God lives and dwells in you and He even promised that He would give you power. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power to become what? Witnesses unto all of the world because of the power of the gospel in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 1. But there's a responsibility. We need to do something with it and it's to help others as we saw last week. But again, These are very virtuous traits to do. You can still do these virtuous good things, but out of convenience or compulsion, you have to, or reputation's sake. And as we saw last week, if that's the motive behind it, if that is the circumstance you find yourself in, it's not really a virtue that is going to affect your walk with Christ. It's just another good work. And so we can continue, and we'll ultimately conclude, letter C. To give all diligence requires strength and bravery to face the danger and the unknown of war. And before we actually look at Joshua chapter 1, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Father, I have not the strength today, uh, I have not the virtue today to, uh, to do this message on my own. I need your help, and I want to just go in the back seat right now and just let you take the wheel and drive. This is your message. This is your book. This is your word. These are your principles. And so, God, teach your flock. Feed your sheep. And that includes me. I need to hear from you. Even though I'm the one up here being a vessel for you, I need to be reminded of these things, and I need you to teach me something as well. Help me to be strong and powerful and to do the right thing, not because it's convenient or because I have to or for my reputation's sake, but let me do it because you alone are worthy because of what you did on the cross for us, because of who you are, because of the day and time and age which we find ourselves in where people aren't doing the right thing or they're doing it for the wrong motive or for the wrong circumstance. Let that not be said of us. Let us have a, a pure heart attitude and let us bring you glory in all things that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Joshua chapter 1. Can I get a reader for verses 6 and 7? Sam. And then immediately after that, a reader for verses 8 and 9. Dustin. All right. Listen up loud and clear. Sam, kick it off. Be strong and of courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whitherso thou goest. So last week we also saw, and I can't remember if somebody mentioned it or not, but virtue also means bravery. You know, again, strength, valor, all of those things. So I picked this passage out, and it's interesting to me that in three of the four verses we just looked at, there's a phrase that keeps repeating. What is it? Let's see who was really paying attention. Be strong and what? Of a good courage. Strong, strength, courage, bravery, Be strong and of a good courage. We're going through a study of Joshua right now in the main service. And we're up to, was it chapter 16, chapter 17 now? For those of you who've been along on this journey, think about everything that's happened so far in this book. Think about everything that you've seen the Israelites go through. All of the battles. All of the victories. All of the upsets. And the losses. There are some losses that happen in the book of Joshua. Think about everything that they had at the very beginning, before they even cross over the Jordan River, before they even go into the campaign. God is telling them again and again and one more time for good measure, be strong and have a good courage. If I repeat something to you eight times over, do you think I mean it? If your parents repeat something to you 30 times over, do you think they mean it? How much more so, God? At the very start of this military campaign, as they're about to go out and conquer their land for His kingdom, He tells them, be strong and have a good courage. Now, why is it you think that He's telling them that? What was that? Because they're afraid and also because they're going to encounter things that come up that are going to test that strength and that courage. They're going to see further things that might test them. Am I going to go forward with this, or am I just going to cower in fear? Well, he said be strong and have a good courage, because that's how God works. He doesn't just tell us that, and then we have one obstacle in our way, and if we get past that one obstacle because we're brave and we're strong, then we're not going to have any more obstacles in our way that are going to challenge our fear. That's not how it works. We're going to have obstacle after obstacle after enemy after enemy. Some of you even experience that in your life and in your walk daily. And you're like, all right, you know what? I went over, I, I'm, I'm going through and being bold. And I'm going to go out to the mall and witness. And man, I did it and now it's great. I, I, I got out of my comfort zone and man, I got some rejections. But man, the good conversations I did have, we even saw that happen last Sunday. Some of the good conversations and some of those little doors I did have, It's given me confidence and the boldness to keep going further. But then you might come across a family member who they really start challenging you. You're like, oh man, I don't really know the answer to that, so I'm just going to keep quiet to myself. Think about everything they encountered in Joshua. They even lost their fellow friends who didn't want to do the right thing. All of the unknowns of battle, and I'm telling you guys this one of the unknowns of battle, one of the things that might shake you in your faith is one day finding your closest best friend in this very room walking away from the Lord. If your best friend, maybe the person who invited you to church, if they just up and decided to no longer walk with God or to stop coming to church, what would you do? What if it's your parents? What if they just up and sided, we do not believe the things that are in this book anymore. Or, you know what, we believe this doctrine. And it goes contrary to what FBCJ says, the Bible says. We're just not going to go to FBCJ anymore. What would you do? I remember the first time I learned my very first lesson of ministry. And it wasn't in JBI. It was uh, August of 2003. And again, I've shared my testimony with you guys a little bit. I've been walking with God, saved for two years, but only walking with God for the last two months after church camp. And I was so excited. I mean, me and my one buddy, you know, my, my friends who invited me to church, gave me rides to church, and I didn't even have my temps at this point yet. And, uh... You know, man, I told him, I was like, man, dude, you and I, we need to get discipled. We need to, at this time, we were doing discipleship over in Pastor Jay and Courtney's house because we didn't really have a building. And so we would go over there on our Wednesday nights, and that's where we had discipleship. Like, dude, you and I, we need to sign up. We need to go because school's coming around, and we're going to get blasted again. All of our friends trying to draw us back into the world and to act like them, and we need to be lights. We need to be different and set apart from them. And I remember telling him, I was like, man, are you you coming to church tonight, man? We're going to have, I think, just an awesome time. I think we can talk with Pastor Jay about getting disciples. He's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. I'm like, oh, that's weird. No worries, I'll just have my parents give me a ride. And we got to church, and this is back when we were at Jackson High School. And for those of you who go to Jackson High School, we met in the main auditorium there. And it was before the renovations. It was before everything that they they did with it. But it still kind of looked very similar to how it is now. But I remember Jay escorted the youth into the back of the auditorium. And we were never in the auditorium. We had our own classroom down the hall. And as we go in there, Pastor Tom stands up front and he says, I have some pretty rough news to tell all of you. But so-and-so family has left the church. And they were the family that brought me to church every single Sunday and Wednesday. They were the family that when I was a fifth grader, they asked me if I wanted to start going to Wednesday nights with them down at New Philly. And then every Sunday and every Wednesday, they would drive me to church, and I got to hear the gospel. I got to hear what the Bible actually said. And they ended up deciding that year, the year of years where solid is actually formed and becomes a ministry, that they are no longer wanting to keep up the fight. And they leave. And I remember weeping like a baby. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, after everything God has done for our youth and everything He's brought us forth so far, everything He's doing currently, and this happens? I learned the first lesson of ministry that day, that you want to go into full-time ministry, you think that God is calling you to the mission field, prepare for a life of pain Mm -hmm. from those that are closest to you from those who are responsible in a way for your salvation. happen in Joshua. That is an unknown of the battle. It's an unknown of spiritual warfare. You don't know what a day is going to bring. You don't know if your best friend or your leaders or your pastors or your parents are just going to up and walk away from the Bible. Are you going to be strong and are you going to be courageous if that day comes for you? These are things we have to consider. We have to consider it now so that when that day does come, the unknowns of the battle were strong and were courageous. Flip on over to 1 Chronicles chapter 19. A couple books to your right after Samuels. First Chronicles chapter 19. Again, talking about the unknowns of war, we need to be brave to do the right thing to encourage others how they ought to behave. And I love this. There's two brothers, Joab and Abishai. Look at verse 10. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him before and behind. Do you ever have one of those days where it just feels like you're overwhelmed and surrounded on every side? Where it's like nothing is going your way. All of the forces of hell and Satan himself are just coming against you. That's what's going on here. Battles battle before and behind them. Uh, and he chose out all of all the choice of Israel and put them in array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he delivered unto the hand of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in array against the children of Ammon. And he, Joab, said... If the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Ammon be too strong for thee, then I will help thee. In other words, we need each other. This battle is fierce. This battle is intense. You need to be here as often as you can. Anytime these doors are open, whether it's on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, and there's an activity, when there's an unofficial activity, be connected be with each other because we need each other to help fight in the battle if you think you don't need the people that are in this room you might be overrun by the Syrians or the Ammonites that are in your own life whatever those enemies might be whether it's a sin issue whether it's a hard attitude issue whether it's just being too conformed to this world we need each other and even when the battle gets tough look what he says in verse 13 be of good, what? Virtue. Virtue. And let us behave ourselves valiantly for our people and for the cities of our God and let the Lord do that which is good in His sight. A couple of things about this. You know what I love about verse 13 and something that's kind of interesting about the book of like 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings and First and Second Chronicles is that it's kind of like the Gospels. They give the same story, but it's from different accounts. And you'll get some more details in 1 Chronicles that you won't get in Second Kings, and that's kind of how some of these stories work. The parallel story for this is found in Second Samuel chapter ten, verse twelve. And you know what Joab says to his brother? He says that we need to instead of being uh, behave ourselves valiantly. He says, you know what we need to do? We need to play the man. We need to be the man. Manliness, virtue. That's what he's saying here. We need to be virtuous, strong, and bold for the others around us because your testimony matters. What you do can directly or indirectly affect the people in this room. So if they see you dipping into things that you shouldn't be on social media, it's going to encourage them to do the same. But if they see you staying strong in the Word of God, reaching out to others... They also will do the same. Your faith is contagious. And it should be. Be brave, do the right thing, and encourage others how to behave. And man, seniors, you guys are the forerunners for this. But it doesn't just stop there. You might think, okay, seniors, they should be the ones who are really leading the rest of the senior high. Well, no, you know what? Juniors, you can be like that to the sophomores and freshmen. Sophomores, you can be like that to the freshmen. And freshmen... You can be like that to the eighth graders who are going to be coming up here in just a few short months. And you'll be able to tell them and encourage them and model a behavior of virtue by showing them here's how a walk with Christ should look like. That's what's going on here. Your testimony matters, especially when you don't know what a day's gonna bring. But, back on your outline, worldly value will always valor will always fail in the day of adversity. You can check out Jeremiah 46 later, but he's basically talking about those who think they're strong by the world's standards. What does the world define as strength? What does the world define as valor, as virtue? You think you're strong in that, and that's what you're going into in your spiritual walk to fight a spiritual battle against a spiritual army? You're going to fail. He basically says, talk is cheap. People can act brave, but when the heat gets turned up, you know what they do? They get up and they run away. They forsake God. They quit walking with him. Proverbs 24, 10. This is a beautiful verse. If thou faint in the day of adversity, when you get opposition, thy strength, virtue, is small. Man, you want to mark that verse down. So again, are you doing the right thing? Regardless of your circumstance. Are you doing that which is right and being strong and brave and bold with a pure heart attitude or because it's convenient and because you have to and because your reputation's at stake? It's those three things. Don't be surprised if your strength fails in the day of adversity when challenge really does come to your life. Letter D. As your faith is stretched, you'll wax strong in virtue. Somebody tell me, what's the significance of Hebrews chapter 11? Great faith chapter. chapter. Some people call it the hall of faith. It's kind of a little cheesy, you ask me. But that's neither here nor there. But I love it. There's this part... When you get past all of the the heroes of the Old Testament where it's talking about the unknown, like the unknown soldiers of faith, the people who really don't get the recognition, the people who may not always be the ones who are like the Noah, the Abrahams, the Sarahs. No. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the people that we talked about this past Wednesday night at Church History, people who are on the run for their lives. And here's what verse 33 and 34 says, Who through faith, these people quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong and they waxed valiant in fight. I have it on your outline. You'll wax strong. They waxed valiant. That word waxed, it means to grow. You will grow stronger when your faith is challenged or when you are stretched. Again, I hope you guys still have your study sheets. But last week, one of the definitions of virtue, it's strength through straining or stretching. And I used the analogy last week about weight training. And here's the thing, though, to go back to that whole analogy. So like, let's say you guys start working out. And like I said, in order for your muscles to grow back stronger, you need to first tear them down. But let's say after you get past that that weakness and you get past that part where your muscles are sore and you're like, all right, I can finally get back to the reps I did after day one. If you did the same weight and the same reps for one month, are you going to see much growth? If you do the same weight and the same reps for six months, are you going to see muscle growth? If you do the same weight and the same reps for one year, are you going to see muscle growth? No. You know why? Your muscles aren't being put under strain. They have gotten used to doing the same reps over and over and over again, the same weight over and over and over again, to the point that your body has become adjusted and used to it. You are no longer growing stronger. But you know what your body is doing? Getting <laughs> lactic acid and blood and oxygen flowing to it, and you know what? Got a nice little pump going. It looks and appears as though you're stronger. It looks and appears good on the outside. But really, you're just as weak as when you started. That's a lot of Christians walking around who go through the motions of just doing Bible reading every single day, but never really taking their Bible reading to the next step or never really applying what it is that they read, never really being stretched in their walk. There's a lot of Christians that do that. Maybe it's even some of you that are in this room that are dealing with that, where you're not really seeing any challenges in the Word of God. You're not really, you're reading it, but it's kind of just like a checkbox to you. You're not really looking at it as far as the heart perspective of God. What is it you want me to know and what is it you want me to do? And you're not allowing God to challenge you because any kind of sense of conviction that's in your heart, we can quickly just quench that and put that out. And that can't be the case. We grow during times of stretching. We grow during times of trial. The Bible even says to not despise the, ch- the chastening of the Lord in Hebrews chapter 12. "If God's putting you through a trial and a test right now, don't run from it. Embrace it. It's rough, and it stinks. You know, there's a couple pastor uh, friends, Mike Blake being one of them. He was the first one I heard say this. And I think it's actually a pretty common phrase. I don't know if it's in working out or what, but I remember he was the first one I heard say it. Where he's like, you know what you got to do? You got to embrace the suck. It sucks going through rough times. It sucks when you're going through the thick of it where either friends are not wanting to hang out with you or they're not returning your texts or man, it just seems like a rough home life, or it just seems like whatever the case may be, fill in the blank for you, whatever you're going through. Embrace it. Embrace the suck, because you know what you're doing? You're, it's causing you, number one, to not trust and rely upon yourself as your own strength, but it's also causing you to see your great need for Him. And in doing that, you are growing stronger. may not seem like it at first, but that's what's happening. It happens in the f- real world and physical world with working out, and it happens in our spiritual world. I love this passage. When things are faint, when things and you feel like giving in, Gideon in Judges, he came to Jordan and passed over, he and the 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing his adversary, yet pursuing the task that God had put in front of him. You may be faint, but keep going. Keep doing what you know is the right thing to do. Keep being virtuous. But if your faith is dependent upon how flexible to fill in your blank, if it's dependent upon how flexible your heart or sorry, it is dependent upon how flexible your heart is during times of straining. If you're going to grow strong, it's dependent on how flexible you are during those times. Judges chapter 16. It's Samson. Samson is known to be what in the Bible? The strongest. You could even say he's the most virtuous man in the Bible. The strongest man in the Bible. And you know what? He had someone in his life who daily pressed him, who daily vexed him. It was someone who was supposed to be his closest companion, his closest friend. But she really wasn't his friend. She didn't push him to love the Lord. She didn't push him to walk closer with God. No. She caused him to actually bring him down, and she ended up breaking him. He ended up revealing the secret to his success, and she broke him. Do you have any friends like that? You think they're really your closest best friend, but they're not pushing you to, cl- to walk further and closer in your walk with Christ? If they're not pushing you to walk closer with Christ, then they're ultimately going to break you. Whereas Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he stayed flexible. he you guys know, you know the significance of chapter 12? He's praying to God. He's like, Lord, I have this thorn in my flesh and it's constantly aching and constantly attacking me. Can you please get rid of it? I'm being stretched during this time and I don't like it. I'm being tried. and It's not pleasant to me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. You are going to be made stronger even though you're weak right now. Even though it doesn't feel like it, you are going to be made stronger for this. You know why? Because in your physical weakness, I am going to use this to make myself look strong to all of those that are watching you right now. I don't know if anybody else got chills last week at how much Pastor Tom's message went beautifully in line with what we talked about last week. And no, we didn't talk about it. But when he had mentioned about these opportunities that we find ourselves in in life where we can have this immense chance and opportunity to let God show himself mighty when we are weak, imagine what that does to the onlookers. We talked this past Wednesday about people who were getting persecuted for their faith. I'm going to mention it again in the intro this Wednesday. But do you realize that there were a lot of people, a lot of spectators, who were watching all of these Christians getting brutalized and to see them not recant of their faith, to see them not chuck the word of God away? Imagine what that does to people who are looking at that and like, oh, these, little, these, these heathens over here, not following pagan Rome. Watch them give in. Let's see how long. You guys want to take wagers? How long before you think they give in? Think before the fire starts coming to them? Alright, let's see. And then the sea people who are literally burning alive singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs to God, not giving up their faith. Imagine what that does to lost people looking on. That's why I said last Wednesday, those of you who may have genuine issues in your life right now, don't hide it. Instead, use it as an opportunity to let God prove just how strong and mighty He is through that issue to the people who are watching you. Because people are always watching you, whether you realize it or not. Whether at school, at home, at work, or any other activity you find yourself involved in, they're watching you. What do they see about your life? Letter E. The longer you've walked and fought, the more you need to be reminded of an old, familiar dare I say, forgotten truth about strength training. I love this. I've got to give credit to Brian Brown for this one because his first camp he did for us back in 2011, which I don't think any of you guys were there for that. He mentioned this passage and it blew me away. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. There's a reason that's highlighted, and it's because of the next verse. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet and the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Watch what happens because they obeyed. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, to keep walking further. He stirred him up to be strengthened, to do the work of the Lord. What was interesting about this passage and what Brian Brown, the, the point he made with this, sorry, it's not the next verse, it's verse 12 and verse 14. You know, sometimes you just don't feel like getting up and reading your Bible. You just don't feel like going out to the mall and witnessing. You just don't feel like coming to a youth activity. You don't feel like it. You're not stirred in your spirit. And you think, and sometimes we even convince ourselves, okay, when God stirs me up, then I'll be able to do it. Then I'll have the courage and the strength and the virtue to go do what's right. This passage tells us that it's the opposite. When you don't feel like doing it, do it. When you are not stirred in your spirit, in verse 14, do verse 12 and just obey. Do what God tells you to do, and then you'll be stirred in your spirit to keep doing it. Again, working out, exercising. By and large, most of us, unless you're a freak, don't feel like going and working out. But when you actually do it, now you're like, every day, all day, let's go. But you don't feel like it at first. You just have to do it, and then you'll get stirred up to keep doing it. It's the same thing with God. When you don't feel like doing the right thing, when you feel like giving in to sin, even though it's not virtuous, do the right thing, and you'll be stirred in your spirit to keep going, to keep pressing forward. It's an old forgotten truth, but... If your virtue is only out of convenience, compulsion, or reputation, you may have already forgotten. Again, the headline verse, it's right there on the top of your study sheet. He that lacketh these things, virtue, is blind and cannot see afar off. If you've forgotten this truth, if you've forgotten what God's doing in your life, you're not going to be able to see where He's taking you next. And if you can't see where He's taking you individually next... We're going to struggle real hard in this youth ministry of seeing where do we go next. And we as a church, if this youth ministry is struggling, we as a church are going to see real hard of where we're going to go next. So do the right thing. So to conclude, I have this application on here where we anoint our eyes with this very practical real life example of just uh, who can we look to? Is there a passage or a person we can look to that just really exuded all of these character traits? I'm like, oh yeah! Ruth chapter 2, verse 9. That's who that is, by the way, on the background. I don't know if any of you guys were wondering that from last week. Let thine eyes There's a pun for you. Get it? Anoint thine eyes. See? Let thine eyes be on the what? The field. The land that God has given us. The school that God has planted you in. The family and home life that you find yourself in. Let your eyes be on the field that they do reap. There's a plentiful, bountiful harvest out there. And God has placed you in the place that you are in, the position, the family you are in, the background and lifestyle you have. He's placed you there for a reason. It all fits into His plan. We just have to, as Jesus said in John chapter 4, look up and let thine eyes be on the field, just like Ruth did. Anybody know what's significant about Ruth? She's the only woman in the entire Bible to be called what? Virtuous virtue plus, Virtuous. So she has a lot in common with Proverbs 31. So in letter A, virtue has many manly qualities. Indeed, we saw how many examples of warfare and men fighting. Yet, it's a particular woman that we look towards just loaded with puns today, Brandon, to realign our vision. Ruth 311 is where Boaz calls her a virtuous woman, and we have all of those passages in Proverbs 31. But you know where we find this? You know how we find this practically? What does Proverbs 31 describe as virtue? Well, first off, turn over to Ruth chapter 3. We'll see how this breaks down very, very simply. Where am I going? There we go. Very, very practically, very, very simply. You know what's significant about a virtuous woman, right? She's very hard to find. She's very, very valuable. But not only that, you know what you as a Christian are called in the New Testament? A bride to Jesus. If you're in here today and you have called upon Christ to save you and you are genuinely saved and born again, you are part of the bride of Christ. So all these characteristics that are found in Proverbs 31 and consequently the book of Ruth, they are characteristics that you and I ought to have every single day. Ruth chapter 3, look at point number 1 on your outline. You know what we find about her and the virtuous woman? They are both invaluable and wise. I got up on here, Proverbs 31, verse 10 and verse 26, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. She's likened unto wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. Again, that's invaluable. You would not trade a woman like that for anything. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Can I get a reader for Ruth 3, verse 5? Sam. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me I will do. This is her mother-in-law telling her, Boaz, he is your kinsman redeemer. He's the one that can bring salvation to us. He's the one that can be your husband, your redeemer. And she gives uh, Ruth all of these instructions. And Ruth doesn't argue with her. Ruth doesn't say, well, you know, I think this would actually be a better approach to go about it. No. Oh, you know what? It's not really convenient for me to go right now. It's not really good for my reputation to go to Boaz. No. Her response to what is being asked of her, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. You want to know something that is both invaluable and wise? Hearing from God and doing exactly what He tells you to do, that is invaluable. You become a person that does that, you will go very, very far in life. You will do things for God that even the missionaries of 200 years ago never been able to do because of how rare a person like that is in today's day and age. Hear from God, know what He wants you to do, and do it. Man. So i got to ask you, when was the last time you heard from God? You might be in your Bible every day, but when was the last time you heard from God? remember when I was in JBI we did the the Sons of Thunder class that's the preaching class and Tom gave us a couple pastor Tom gave us a couple assignments to to preach through and I remember there was I think it was week number two he comes up to all of us and he's like you know all of you guys did a great job preaching but there's something missing from every single one of you guys all of you got your points nailed all of you guys were doctrinally accurate all of you guys you read the text and you explained what the text said and it was accurate. But if I'm being honest, every single one of you guys, I'm going to forget these messages tomorrow. He goes, I have no doubt that all of you studied the passage that you just preached. But did you hear from God? It was one of those things where I'm like, Holy cow, like, it seems redundant, but it makes total sense. You may read your Bible every single day, but did you hear from God? Did you have a personal encounter with the creator and sustainer of the entire universe who saved your soul? That's the difference between being in your Bible every day and hearing from God. The difference between doing devotions... And having a one-on-one relationship with Christ Himself. So let me ask, when was the last time you heard from God? Where He spoke something very personal to you. Not a general thing like, oh, I need to witness more. Oh, I need to pray more. Not general, because everybody needs to do that. When was, something, when was the last time He spoke something specific to you that He wanted you to do? And you knew it. And you did it. Ruth, when she heard what she needed to do, she did it. And it made her very invaluable and wise. Made her virtuous. Point number two. You know what else you find about Ruth and the virtuous woman? They're trustworthy. Proverbs 31.11 says that her husband trusts her and dwells safely with her. Has no reason to spoil her because he knows her. He can trust her. Turn over to chapter 2 of Ruth. Look at verses 9 through 11. Follow along with me as I read. We already saw, let thine eyes be on the field. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Where's your field? Are your eyes on it? Do you know what God wants you to do? And go thou after them. Have I not charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And note verse 11. Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. She was a great blessing to the Jews when she didn't have to be. She went out of her way to bless and help others when she did not need to. That was very valuable to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, and her soon-to-be husband. He saw her that she was trustworthy. Your testimony matters both here and away from the youth ministry If you have a history of doing what God asks you to do, He's going to take you further in your walk because you've been found faithful. You know, in some trials, some times of testing in your life you'll go through, you'll find yourself asking, Lord, can I trust you to help me with this? Can I trust you that if I go through the fire, that you're going to help me come out on the other side? There are some trials where you find yourself asking God that questions. Then there are other trials that you go through where God is like, Hey, you know that you can trust me. I've proven myself again and again and again to you. This time of testing that you're going through right now is to see if I can trust you. Those are the ones that really tend to hurt. Like when you're unemployed for three months and your wife's pregnant and you just sign the dotted line on your house and you have three months of commission to get yourself through it. God's like, you know, I can trust you. You can trust me. I've proven myself to you. Can I trust you with what I have next for you? With where I want to take you? Ruth was trustworthy, made her virtuous. Number three, a virtuous woman in Ruth who are both hardworking, industrious, and enduring. Proverbs 31, verse 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. She's draped in it. People can see what she's wearing, just like people can see what you're wearing. It's noticeable to people around you whether or not you're strong. And she shall rejoice in time to come. We're in chapter 2. Look at verses 21 to 23. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by the young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go with his maidens. Other people in the field doing the work, in other words that they may meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast. She stayed close by the hard workers of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Finishing what you start with what God gave you, that's the key. So did you start discipleship? Man, see it through to completion. Are you signing up for VBS? Are you serving an area of the kids? Do it faithfully. And be close to others who are also doing the work. They're going to help you. It's going to strengthen you. Man. Number four. The virtuous woman gives charitably to others and regards not herself until all others are taken care of. Proverbs 31, verses 21 and 27. She is not afraid. Courageous, brave of the snow for her household for all her household are clothed with scarlet she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness others in her house are more important than her others in her area of ministry are more important than her she makes sure that others are taken care of before her own needs selflessness Ruth was the exact same way for sake of time, do I want to look at that? Now nah, Check out verses 2 to 3 and verse 7 later in your, in your personal studies, in your quiet time. This ministry is your household, solid. This is where you're serving at right now. And some of you, you serve elsewhere too. That's your household. Take care of the people that you serve there. And it's a reminder, when Jesus came unto this earth, what did He say? The Son of Man has come not to be ministered unto but to minister. So i got to ask, what's the reason you come to church? Why do you come here on Sundays and Wednesdays? Is it because you have to? Compulsion. Is it because it's convenient to? Is it because you want to keep up appearances, reputation? That's not virtue. And you're going to end up blind, not knowing where to go next. And number five. She is unique, unlike any other. Proverbs 31:29. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Another definition of virtue. And Ruth 2, look at verse 5. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was sent over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? Checking her out. She's noticed. He's blown away by her heart for service. Man, again, Ruth 3.11 says, Everyone knows you're a virtuous woman. Ruth is the only person that's called that in all of the Bible. You know what 1 Corinthians 8.3 says? Go ahead and write that down. Check it out later. If any man loves God, the same is known of him. If you love God, it's going to be known and seen by others, not only in this ministry, by your leaders, by your pastors, and by the people you find yourself surrounded on a daily basis. If we, we'll leave Andy out of this because he might cause more trouble than good. If your other leaders were to go to your schools and ask your teachers and your friends, hey, does so and so love God? And we said your name. Or even if we left that off, we just said, hey, how is so and so? What would they say about you? What testimony would they give about your testimony at school? Are you known as someone who loves God? That just goes to church. Not that they're a Christian. No, man, that kid loves the Lord. It was known of Ruth. It's known of the virtuous woman. But let her be. Just as the other points have a pure virtue contrasted with a virtue of convenience, so does she. Proverbs 31:30. Favor is deceitful. Many people think favor and what people think of you, your reputation. They think that's the most important thing. Popularity. They think that's what makes a virtuous woman. And beauty is vain. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That's what God says is pure virtue. But man, people have it so backwards today. They think that the outward, what you do externally... That's what matters. That's what's virtuous. And then Proverbs twelve four: A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in whose bones? His bones. Are you saved? Are you saved? You're the bride of Christ to your husband, Jesus. If we don't add to our faith virtue, we are as rottenness To the body of Christ. (sighs) Scary. In the early morning of September 8, 1860, a wooden hulled steamboat by the name Lady Elgin was sailing on a stormy Lake Michigan when it was struck by the side of a sailboat. The collision left a gaping hole in the side of the Lady Elgin that was quickly starting to fill with water. Left with no other option, the approximate 400 passengers jumped ship clinging to whatever wreckage they could in hopes that they would navigate the stormy waves to the Illinois shore. Two boats totaling 18 people were able to make it to shore where they warned the townspeople of more lives that needed saved. As morning broke, the students of the Garrett Bible Institute would answer the call to rescue any who happened to make it close to shore. One man by the name of Edward Spencer over the course of six hours dove into the cold, freezing, rough, wavy waters a total of 17 times rescuing a soul each time. Through the course of him doing this at the end he was left as an invalid for the rest of his life. Basically paralyzed. After he saved and rescued his 17th soul, he was on shore and utterly faint and exhausted from the strength and bravery and courage of doing the right thing, utterly spent. And to no one in particular, he's just kind of in a haze and he's just saying, Did I do my best? Did I do my best? true story when we come to the end of our life and we're standing to Christ we're standing in front of him and we give an account of our lives as Christians can we say did I do my best can we say that I did do my best to rescue absolutely every soul I could to live virtuously to do what God asked me to do because we will find out whether or not we did not that day in the meantime, oh, there's an illustration. I meant to have that up while I was reading the story. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any, what? And if there be any praise, do what? Think on these things this week. I'll see you Wednesday. Can I get a volunteer to pray?